Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing The Equalizer 3, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, and Retribution. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Gentlemen, hello. What's up? What's going on, Bill? Not too much, AJ. How are you? What's new? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, things are good. Uh, we we are officially kicking off football season uh, this weekend, which oh, is yeah. fantastic. As for all of us, we are huge football fans, so that's yep. great. Um, and we are n- we are no longer, or we have not made it to the throes of fall yet. Autumnal season. Um, no, there's like massive heat waves. It's just, 95 degrees out right now. Yeah, exactly. It is oppressively hot and I am a sweaty kid to begin with. So not too well. Uh, how are you? I'm good. Also excited about football. Uh, more excited that this will be my, be my first year in a while, not being in a fantasy league, which I am so excited to be out of. Uh, fantasy draft was the worst night of the year for me. I absolutely hated it. And so I'm out and I feel Jesus. free and I can just He's enjoy out. the sport. And so I'm excited about that. And we'll be at the first game this weekend uh, when the Patriots kick it off against the Eagles. So excited to be in Gillette for that as well. Wow. So, yeah, very excited. Love that. Love that for everyone. Uh, All right. There's a lot. We have an action-packed episode. So let's let's get into it. Uh, Did you watch anything? Revisit anything? What's going on? Yeah, a couple things for the follow-up section here to open it. I saw Oppenheimer for a third time. In theaters. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Look, I was invited. I said, yes, of course. It still rocks. It's great. Um, And I will say three times in theaters is like the perfect amount of viewings for me for a big movie where I like never need to watch it again if I don't have to. Like three times in a theater like locks it in my brain frame for frame. Like Endgame I saw three times. Haven't seen it since. Inception, The Village, Phantom Menace, all movies I've seen three or more times in theaters. And, like, that's a good number. I don't need to it's see it again. It's yeah, locked it's in the vault. locked in. You could have, I mean, yeah. You gotta, let's put it in a different frame of reference. You've spent close to probably 11 hours at the movie theaters for one movie. Just for that, yeah. You could have walked to Albany, New York <laughs> in that time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a commitment. In this case, it's a long movie, so that is true. That's a flight to, like, Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. But wow. uh, speaking of Nolan, I, I actually did revisit Inception as well. Uh, it's been many years since I've seen it, and I decided to have a little movie night, lock in, watch it. It's timeless. It's still incredible. You could put that movie in theaters today. It would still make $700 million. Like, it's it just it still works. I did notice this time, though, a couple internal logic cheats that like when you think about the movie a little too hard there might be some things that don't quite work or make sense but like obviously you forgive that when you're watching the movie like what Uh, well two big ones one uh so they miss the first kick right when they're supposed to be falling from the bridge that that sense of falling from the van going backwards off the bridge they miss that one they're late so they decide they'll ride a different kick up when it when the van hits the water like that's the plan yep so then they do that, great, and they all wake up in that layer of the dream where it's raining and they're in the city and whatever, right? So they already established that that layer of the dream, they would be there for one week uh, in, in, like, dream time. So are they now just stuck there for a week? 
like, because is there another kick? Are they all just going to shoot themselves now? Like, they, they don't actually, like, the, the next time we see them all, they're waking up on the plane, but they don't have a kick to get out of it. They're just like, remember Killian Murphy's, like, on the shore, and he's like, you know, I've decided I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and they swim out of the van with the, with the breathalyzer, and now they're just yep. there. So, like, are they there for a week? Do they not get killed by a subconscious anymore that all had guns that were fighting them oh, previously? Okay. Like, okay. I don't really understand how they get out of that, but they don't say anything. And then the other piece that was a little weird, Killian Murphy's character doesn't recognize Saito, either in his dream or on his plane, even though he's the head of his rival company. Oh, Jesus. Seems far-fetched. That's a, that's a right? glaring p- p- plot hole. I don't know. I seen it. I saw it five times in theaters. I didn't. I didn't notice it till now. I'm like, wait, wouldn't he know him if they're like fucking rivals that are trying to break each other's empires up? Huh. And then I thought, well, he's in a dream. He might not recognize him in a dream because things are different in dreams. But then I realized they're on the mm. plane together. Like you would. Think. Yeah. No. Anyway. So like a couple of weird things like that. Um, Which might go back to the one of the biggest um, questions about Inception is that. When they're in like that Bangladesh opium den where they're trying to try the new serum. Yes, yeah. And he wakes up, he runs to the bathroom, he splashes water on his face, he spins the top, he's waiting for it to go the right or the wrong way, depending if he's in the dream or not in the dream. And he gets interrupted and he stops the top from spinning. So he never finishes the idea of is he still dreaming or is he in reality? Yeah, I've heard that theory. I've heard thoughts of different places in the movie where you could argue that one of the dreams begins or whatever. But I don't know. I usually, I push that aside. I try to follow the text of the film as best I can. Also, another variable, and then we'll go, we'll, we'll walk away from Inception talk, <laughs> is that the top was never, wasn't his... Um, totem. Totem. Right. It was Maul's totem. It was Maul's, yeah. That he took from that her. he manipulated so that she would have that. Yes. So that she would want to wake up. So is the whole thing a fucking Fugazi? Fugazi? Uh. <laughs> I don't know. I will say, Killian Murphy, though, after all the Oppenheimer watching, the, the 11 hours of Oppenheimer, I was kind of like keyed into Killian Murphy's performance in Inception. And he's like MVP. Like you miss that performance because of all the spectacle. But he kind of grounds it. And he's the one that has to sell the fact that the Inception works. And he's really good. And then Tom Hardy is, you know, breakout role for him as Eames is also standout so anyway this has been an inception talk speaking of tom hardy i saw a commercial where he's in a new movie and plays the the leader of a motorcycle club i don't know haven't followed that that was just on his instagram that's just what he's doing in his regular life i wouldn't be surprised yeah. <laughs> uh aj you uh, watched something as well that you added to our notes here yeah. Oh boy. I wrote a vulgar description and that I won't read out loud in the in the show notes, but I watched uh, Mission Impossible Three, MI three, mm-hmm. uh, and it is not a good movie, Bill. It is probably one of the weakest, if not the weakest, Mission Impossible movie. I vehemently disagree. I would have to go back and watch it. It's been a few years, but I remember loving that one. That was my favorite for a while until no, the no, newer no, no. ones started to come out. Well, there's a few things. It's very campy. It makes okay. no sense. And three, um, I almost said Neil Patrick Harris. Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, another three-named individual. Yeah. Um, they do nothing to describe his character or motivation. He is just some bad guy who 
never explains what he's doing and why he's doing it. But he's the crux. His yeah, his will, thing that yeah. he's doing: arms dealing, nuclear codes, uh, mustard gas, whatever it is. I, you never even realize what it is. The, the rabbit's, rabbit's foot. The rabbit's foot. Yeah. Like why he's doing it like is a money motivation is he like trying to destroy the world like what's happening they never they never go into what's the whole crux of the MacGuffin, as you would call that they're chasing through the entire film yeah yeah i so a couple things i will concede that philip seymour hoffman's character is essentially dimensionless that being said philip seymour hoffman gifted as he was still makes that role sing like he is great in it uh but yes, more context would be nice. I actually don't mind the fact that they never reveal the rabbit's foot. It's kind of like the movie Ronin, where you never find out what they're chasing in the in the briefcase. I kind of like the ambiguity. And I remember the movie had some directorial flair from from J.J. Abrams in one of his maybe a second motion picture. I feel like after TV. Yeah. Uh, By flair, you mean so you mean it. lens flair, right? Because the man loves both literal and <laughs> loves flair. Lens flair. Um, um, so I dug it. It introduced Benji, who became a mainstay character. Sure. Um, I don't know. But then, it, like, mo- like some like Ghost Protocol as well. They also introduced characters that never come back. So mixed bag there. Mm. But I liked it. I liked it. Well, you. I still think two is the overall weakest, even though I also love that one. I love them all, so I really can't take place in this discussion. Apologist bias. Um, okay. Big time. What else? Uh, one other thing I wanted to share in our follow up is. A lot of positive feedback from the fans about our plan for the, the 1,000th review, the 61K extravaganza potential. Uh, so I want to thank everybody. By the way, that's an official <laughs> corporate hashtag that we, even though we just dumped on official corporate hashtags like three episodes ago, we have 61K. <laughs> abandoned that perspective in our adopting hashtag 61K. Yeah. We, that's a one instead of an I for those keeping score. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so I just want to thank everybody for sharing their thoughts. People had responded to us either via text or via, should I go see it, uh, Instagram, saying that they'd be interested, they would come to it. Someone told me they'd fly out for it. So very uh, exciting possibilities there. You know, we as a collective, you know, had a, had a meeting at our corporate headquarters and uh, started hashing out and brainstorming some thoughts. So, yeah, just want to thank everybody for the positive feedback. On We're that. doing it, baby. AJ's hard at work trying to book Matt Damon as a guest. We're going to do it. We're going to get a local uh, Massachusetts celebrity to be part of this. I got a year. Hey, don't don't write any checks that we can't cash, but ideally that'd be great. Uh, and then we have some, uh, we'll finish off with some sad news. In memoriam. Uh, an in memoriam section here for uh, Jimmy Buffett and Bob Barker. Both passed away in the last uh, two weeks since we last spoke. Craig, what's a fucking face for? I just don't know what Jimmy Buffett has to do with our podcast. I didn't have him on there. AJ added it to the list. I wanted to respect AJ's wishes. You can't put Bob Barker and then not do Jimmy Buffett. I mean, Jimmy, uh, as a parrot head, as the the pod's parrot head, I have to pay tribute to the... Card-carrying member of No Shoes Nation. (laughs) Hell yeah, brother. Uh, Yeah, Jimmy Buffett. He's a fucking... He's the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're entitled to your opinion on that. Rest in Uh, power, Jimmy. Cheeseburger in Paradise. Bob Barker, I was a huge fan of growing up. Obviously, everybody of a certain age watched The Price is Right, especially when you were homesick uh, at 11 o'clock on CBS. And uh, sure did. I was no exception. I used to love watching The Price is Right. One weird BG like history lesson here. I was home one day sick watching The Price is Right, and it got interrupted by breaking news. And I was 
furious because I was a kid and didn't care about the news, and I was so mad that I was missing The Price is Right. Now, when I look back on the importance of that particular event, it, it was the Oklahoma City bombing, and now I understand oh. why they broke in. I, I was going to guess 9-11. Not, not to laugh, I was going to... I had two things. It was either 9-11 or the Oklahoma City bombing. It was Oklahoma City, yeah. No, 9-11, I was in high school. I was I was in school, so... Or Columbine. This was Oklahoma City, and I just remember being furious, and now, in retrospect, being like, oh, shit, that was a major event in American history, and I should have been paying more attention, but I was a kid. What are you going to do? I mean... Uh, Interrupt the showcase showdown. You might as well fucking burn down the entire country at that point. You're so angry. Exactly. Exactly. Also, to bring it back to our movie movie flavored podcast, all time cameo by Bob Barker playing himself in Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Just a classic. Yeah. One of the great, one of the great, uh, like, I believe one and done movie appearances from a big TV. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You tell me, was he ever in movies? Not that I know of. I think that was... Price is wrong, Bob. Price Price is wrong. wrong. All right, Bill, let's go to In the News. Last week, the AV Club released their fall 2023 film preview, including the top 26 movies to pay attention to over the next couple months. Bill, which releases are you most excited for? All right, I got a handful that I am anticipating. First of all, the list is pretty good. It does seem like we have a number of things to look forward to uh, between September, October, November. Uh, in order of release, the ones that jumped out to me, uh, The Creator, which is like a new big sci-fi epic from Gareth Edwards, who I know we both really like as a director. He did that Godzilla reboot. He did Rogue One. Um, so he's directing a new sci-fi movie. I believe it's new IP. I think it's from scratch. Uh, and it stars John David Washington, who I really like. So I'm excited for The Creator. I am quasi... like. I guess somewhat ashamedly uh, excited for Saw 10 just because I have seen all the Saw movies and I always enjoy them. Yuck. Big yuck. I'm excited for the new Exorcist, mostly because of the piano theme <laughs> in the trailer. And I'll rewatch the original like the night before because this is like a, a true sequel to it. So I'm excited for that. Uh, I'm excited for The Holdovers, new Alexander Payne movie with Paul Giamatti because it's a, it looks like a small, intimate kind of indie dramedy that Hollywood doesn't really make anymore. So I'm excited to see that. And then my last two, I'm excited for The Killer because it is David Fincher, who I have a list of what I consider to be perfect movies, and there are multiple from David Fincher. Like, I think he's just one of the best directors ever. And it's got Fassbender in the lead role. So super excited for that. And the last one I'll say is Napoleon, giant costume drama period piece with Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be epic. So those are the ones that I'm most excited about over the next couple months. So uh, look on the, be on the lookout for the reviews of all of those for sure, plus many others. It should be a pretty good season. All right, AJ, question for you now. Football season is finally upon us, as we discussed in our intro, and with that comes all of our favorite TV broadcast football themes. AJ, this is a subject that you and I take very seriously. I want you to rank rank for me your top TV football themes by network. Go. Okay. There's a couple ways we can do this, but I think the easiest way is to do it by day of the week when the games begin. So okay. uh, Thursday night kicks off the week of uh, NFL football and then ends on Monday night football. So I think Craig... Right. I think the easiest way to do it is to go days of the week in order, and then yeah. we'll we'll uh, we'll power rank them as each one comes up. I agree. Let's roll the tape. In order of days of the week, here's our Thursday night football theme. 
a little weak. A little weak for me. Uh, it's either it. C or D. It seems like I should be riding a horse with a gigantic sword, just <laughs> cutting off goblin heads while I'm riding. A little too medieval. I like the pomp and circumstance. Yeah. It comes in hard, but I feel like it's too heavy-handed and doesn't give me the thought of uh, clashing titans on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Okay, so you're giving that a, you're giving that a D. That's, that's low. That's low. Yeah, that's low. Low tier. All right, let's turn the page to Sunday, and we'll, we'll do this alphabetically. We'll start with CBS uh, and move on to Fox afterwards. Here's our CBS theme. Buckle up. <laughs> oh, my God. We're here at Gillette Stadium, a short 27 miles outside of Boston. Temperatures in the low 80s, hot and humid September with a slight chance of rain. I am A.J. Rebecca here in the booth with Bill George. We have Evan Washburn and Tracy Wilson down on the field and Gene Steratore on the line for any and all rules questions. Patriots, Eagles, next on the NFL on CBS. Oh, wow. my God. That was, that was tremendous. Clapping. That is... That is S tier. You can't get better. Hard as a rock. Goosebumps. Nipples fully (laughs) beaming. Now, now, I know what you're thinking. Why? I mean, first of all, shut up. Second of all, there is a bias here for all of us because Mm -hmm. Patriots. We're AFC guys. AFC team. AFC boys. For the longest time, I think until two years ago, when they started to mix and match AF. AFC and NFC on CBS and Fox. It was it was CBS growing it was up. All we watched. It's, it's all, all we, watched. we all we watched. So yeah, it's S tier. I I wouldn't go S. I have one in my mind that I know is S for me, but I will say it's it's A for sure. All right. Well, let's cross the conference and check out the NFL on Fox theme. Strong. Pretty good. It's strong. Pretty good. And there's a little, there's a little transformer dude stiff arming people and spiking the mechanical ball. Yeah, you, you got the robot. A tier. This is a good one. It's really good. It's A tier. I'd also put that A. I'd also put that A tier oh. as well. I mean, what can you say? It, the, it puts you right there. It puts you right in the mindset. It's, it does. It really does. And it's, a, it feels a little exotic to us. Again, the AFC NFC thing. The CBS one feels so familiar. It's like. I know exactly where mm-hmm, that takes mm-hmm. me in my mind. The the Fox theme to me is like, ooh, what a what a what a treat. Mm, yeah, what are we yeah. watching now? Like, what is this? Speaking of treats, that brings us to the Sunday night football. Remember when the Patriots used to have primetime games? <laughs> so good too. This one gives it's me good. this one it's gives good. me like goosebumps. Those this one sh- gives me Brady Manning. Sunday night goosebumps. So that little, that fast trumpet staccato. Yeah. Oh, it's either A or B. I go B. I go B. He goes B with that. He's a little bit lesser than the other two for Sunday. I don't know. But it's still very good. Still very good. And for those that are wondering why we're not including the waiting all day for Sunday night, it's because that's like, that's like the intro to the intro. This is the theme. That's like the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. This is what they actually used to bump the commercial. Yeah, 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 else. yeah. You get this throughout the game. Right. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Let's take a sampling of Monday Night Football. Mm. 
This is this is easily S tier. This is my number one. This brings me joy. This is what I think of when I think of football. 100%. It's not even close. A theme synonymous with football itself. That's right. I don't know, Bill. It has this weird Starsky and Hutch funk thing that goes into that. it. I'm glad you mentioned that. I have something to talk about related to that later on. But you're absolutely correct. It does have like that, like uh, like seventies vibe. That like <laughs> yeah, 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 police seventies yeah. cop oh, buddy God. show. But the huh. intro though, that is what that's the seller. Ba, 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 ba. Well, it just goes from like Olympics to like <laughs> to busting like a like a like a coke ring in Chicago in the, the early eighties. But I love that. I love that dichotomy. I think it works together. <laughs> it's 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 not even close for me. It's so far above. It's it's Monday Night Football. That's that's my pick. Can we go? Can we go honorable mentions real quick while we're talking about Monday Night Football? Sure, sure. Honorable mention uh, is not that I was there to watch it, but when Monday Night Football became a convention in like the I think the seventies, this what you're about to hear was the original theme music, and it's the funkiest fucking thing you've ever heard in your life. It's awesome. Takes a little bit to get going, but just just let it get there. Time to fuck. This is like Jackie Moon semi-pro music. It's so great. Yeah, it's so the great. tropics. It's so great. Wow. Uh, well. Can I throw out an honorable mention as well? You may. My favorite of all the sports broadcast themes has to be the NBA on NBC circa 1995. I don't know if you have that one queued up there, uh, Craig, but... Oh, Oh, do I ever. So, so good. Damn the fact they don't use that anymore is criminal. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a damn shame. Criminal. It comes in so hard and it just doesn't leave. Yeah, that's a good one. So you go, so your final ranking, AJ, if I understand you correctly, is CBS, Fox, Monday night? No, I think it's CBS, Fox, Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night. Oh, sorry. Oh, that breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Well, boys, I've never sweated so much during a topic of discussion of Sigsy. Yeah, a lot of head bobbing going on. I'm fired up. You can't see on the podcast. Positively fired up. Well, let's talk about some subpar movies. Bill, this week we'll be talking about... (laughs) Perfect transition. Let's do it. The Equalizer 3. You are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. Uh, From the top, according to imdb.com, The Equalizer 3, Robert McCall finds himself at home in southern Italy, but he discovers his friends are under the control of local crime bosses. As events turn deadly, McCall knows what he has to do, become his friend's protector by taking on the mafia. Bill, why is Italy so hot this year for movies? I think because these actors want a vacation. Denzel's like, hey, let's if I'm going to make this movie, hop on a plane, let's go. Should I go see it? Uh... The movies, no, no, okay. you should not. Um, <laughs> and I, it's what's odd is lately I have been seeing positive, more positive reviews than mine. Usually, I'm usually in line with most uh, critics in in a lot of these types of cases. But I guess I didn't like this uh, more than others did. You know, Denzel returning for the third installment in this action franchise that's based on an old TV show. 
and I gave no's to the other two, and this one is just as forgettable as those. Uh, the only difference is it takes place in Italy, and he's looking to potentially retire, and then the mafia shows up and starts fucking shit up, and he's got to kill his way to the top, just like any Clint Eastwood type of movie where you're protecting a drifter, protecting a small town. Uh, it's, it's one of those. The real issue with the movie, though, is it needed to be more simplified because they add this drug smuggling element and like a CIA team that shows up. And whenever they cut to that part of the story, it feels like it's straight out of NCIS, like just broadcast TV level writing bad and acting. That's also not great. And it completely is pointless to the overall story of Denzel. And it just feels like a different movie, just getting shoehorned in. Like the Denzel scenes are actually pretty good. It's kind of like got a man on fire vibe to it where it's, it's a little more emotional. It's a little more grounded, a little more quiet. And then they throw in this, CIA workforce, and it's 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 dumb. Uh, so that's a one major issue. Another major issue is there is a severe lack of action for an action movie. Uh, if you remember Kevin Smith's story about writing Superman, the producer gave him a note that there needs to be an action beat every 10 or 15 pages in the script, like throw in a car chase, a foot chase. There's got to be something that has to happen uh, every few minutes. And this doesn't even come close. Like nothing happens in this movie for the first half, and it makes the pacing just really tough to swallow. It's just, it's a slow, slow burn. Wow. Uh, you've given no's to all Equalizer movies. How does this stack up compared to the rest of the franchise? I literally don't remember the other two with oh, any wow. level of detail to be able to compare. Um, that should tell you something. Has there ever been a, let's say, minimum three, movie franchise to which you've given across the board knows. Uh, Not movie and sequel. Ooh. I would imagine there's a lot of movies and then sequels that yeah. you've given knows to, but I'm talking minimum of three movie franchise that you've across the board said, fuck you. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Because this would be the third equalizer, right? Correct. Three hard knows. Well, yeah, when they come out with BG. the Meg 3, I mean, we're pretty... Yeah, Meg 3 will be a lot. <laughs> yeah, good call. I usually... I mean, usually I... I save myself the trouble after two no's. I won't keep going. Uh, true. But true. in this case, hashtag 61K. Okay. Uh, okay, I there. also love Denzel. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Fast and Furious, I gave pretty much all of them no's except for Fast Five. So go. that might count, but that was a little different. What? Um, I also didn't review the first two or three because they happened before the website. So I don't know. That one's... Tricky, but like as far as like a one, two, three, all knows, I'd have to research. I don't what, know. What about uh, Hunger Games? Oh, that's a good call. We can go back and look. I, I think I've give, I think I've seen all of them and probably given them all knows also. Okay, back to the Equalizer. Yeah. So first two not memorable. Yep. That will tell you something. Third one not so good. Not Are good. there any redeeming qualities or good things about the film? It's got a couple positives, and I think these are what some of these other critics are like jumping onto as as strong. Just for me, they weren't strong enough. But uh, watching Denzel Washington is always a treat. You know, anytime you can watch someone be really good at their job, regardless of the field, like it's captivating. You know what I mean? It's like when you see Gordon Ramsay on MasterChef demonstrating how to spatchcock a chicken or whatever, and it's just like <laughs> mesmerizing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Denzel just like is great at being an actor. Um, and he doesn't work as much as he used to. So it's just fun to watch Denzel. And the audience that I was with, 
you could tell they were reacting to him. Certain lines, certain looks. Like, he's just, he's magnetic. So, hats off there. The action that they did have was pretty solid. Like, nothing crazy in terms of choreography, but it was, like, rated R, so it was super graphic, and the audience also kind of responded to that with gasps and shifts in their chair because it's uncomfortable if someone's getting tortured or bloodied or whatever. So that was okay. fun. That was fun. The action was Sounds pretty good. Sounds great. Okay. Um, so those two things, I would say the action that was there was solid, and Denzel's great, as usual. But overall, the movie is a lot of wasted uh, potential to me. Bill, if you were the script supervisor or an exec at the studio that maybe got to see a rough cut or it went out to audiences for, for testing, is there anything that you would have done to make it work? Yeah, I think, the, I think the bones are there for Denzel trying to retire, like ostensibly the last movie in the series. Uh, like, you have a good setup there, but you needed to make the movie more streamlined and straightforward. Like, don't have the CIA element at all. It should be a tight 90 minutes of him trying to settle down. These guys come into town. They hurt people he's now come to care for. He uses his particular set of skills. You throw in a car chase in the cobblestone streets. Uh, and you wrap, it, you wrap it up. Like, they could have done a really streamlined action movie to end the series like that, but instead they make it two hours with all this extra nonsense, and it just, they do, they do too much. They got to do less with a movie like this and just stick to what works, which is Denzel and action, and not add all these other elements that they added. The, the crazy thing is you're talking about this, and I'm looking at the IMD page, and I see the cast, including, I believe, Dakota Fanning, Right, seems like he already kind of did this film with Man on Fire as a guy who wants to get out and is kind of pulled back in on a one last job type thing and basically has to kill everyone to make things right. Is this just a bad retelling or a bad remake of Man on Fire? Uh, I think it definitely borrows from it uh, stylistically and slightly from the story. I do think story-wise it is different enough that I wouldn't necessarily call it a Man on Fire clone, but you definitely can... You, there's similar vibes, for sure. I'm just going to watch Man on Fire. Yeah, so good. I haven't seen that in forever. Actually, I think I'm going to queue that up. Let's queue it up in the show notes. We'll uh, we'll watch it over the, the next... I'll watch it again if you do. Hell yeah. Uh, sold. Handshake. Second movie, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. Uh, according to imdb.com, Stacy and Lydia are BFFs who have always dreamed about having an epic bat mitzvah. However, things start, st- things start to go comically awry when a popular boy in middle school drama threatens their friendship and their rite of passage. Bill, should I go see it? I gave this a yes. I believe you saw it as well. Yeah, I love this movie. And you also would give it a yes. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a Netflix original. You know, you mentioned in the story two teenage friends planning their bat mitzvahs and then drama ensues. Uh, I thought it was funny. I think it's a cute movie. I think it's funny. Adam Sandler uh, is in it, and he's he's got a couple small scenes, and they're my favorite. He was, I think he was the funniest part, to be honest. He was fantastic. Um, and it's his daughters in it, which I actually think is pretty cool. I know there's a, there's a big debate about nepotism in Hollywood at the moment, uh, but I did, not, I did not bump on that. I thought they, I thought they were good. They held their own. Uh, I thought the soundtrack was great, and I just thought it was just a fun, a fun movie. I enjoyed it yeah, overall. Yeah, fun, tight. Maybe what hour forty five, if that. Um, yep. To your point that you just made, Adam Sandler is not the main character; he's a supporting character. And I think how they write him into it as this like 
just happy-go-lucky, heart-of-gold father that has these moments in it, I think does a really good job of making him not the spotlight, making sure that um, his daughter um, and the other cast are, are brought forward. Um, I told you, or I, I'd sent you a text, you know, after we watched it, it reminded me a lot of, uh, the film Booksmart that came out a few years ago. It's like a love yeah. Booksmart. It's like a PG 13 Booksmart that is like centered around Judaism, basically. Right. And like right. Jewish culture right. and Jewish norms and things like that. So if you loved Booksmart, uh, and you just want like a really good Friday night, feel good movie, um, I loved it. I thought it was really well done and really well put together. And yeah, it was great. Yeah. My only, my only knock and this kind of comes to the territory is like the main misunderstanding that these movies all kind of hinge on the main one that happens. I felt was like a little forced. Like there was a little unrealistic number of points of failure there, um, which you don't, you'll understand when you see it. I don't want to spoil it, but you know, and the ending is obviously very neat and tidy, uh, but that comes with the territory given the, the goals of the movie. So uh, overall, I thought it was very good. Uh, Bill, moving on to our last film uh, this week is Retribution. According to IMDb.com, a bank executive receives a bomb threat while driving his children to school that his car will explode if they stop and get out. (laughs) Starring Liam Neeson and sounds very familiar. Bill, what are we doing here? Uh, Should I go see it? It's a no. Once again, Liam Neeson finds himself in a precarious and life-threatening situation. Um, as you mentioned, this time he's like an investment banker type, uh, and he gets in his car. There's a random phone call planted in the car that starts to ring, and it's a guy on the other line with a disguised voice saying there's a bomb in the car, that he triggered it by sitting down, and if he gets up, the bomb's going to go off. So it's very much a ripoff of speed. Uh, the rub is his kids are also in the car, and side note, the kids dislike him because he's a workaholic and they don't have a good relationship. So they're like, get up off the seat, Dad, you piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of. They don't get along, and then obviously they come to get along through this traumatic experience. <sighs> but, uh, yeah. I'm, anyway, it's 90 minutes of presumed tension they're supposed to ensue, but uh, not so much. It's the third collaboration between Neeson and this particular director. The other two... The Commuter and Nonstop, both of which I also gave nose. And the issue is that these movies are dull and soulless. Like There's just nothing to grab onto. Um, and for me, if you're going to do a high-concept movie like this, uh, which high-concept, Hollywood term for like an easily communicable idea like pressure play bomb in the seat if you get up it blows up like it's easy to easy to communicate this concept for the movie if you're gonna do a high concept movie like this you have to have something to hang your hat on like either the plot needs to be really clever one of the performances needs to be like really really stand out maybe there's really strong emotional stakes that you can connect with maybe the action itself is awesome and and new and inventive like something needs to stand out that you can point to to make this movie and in this case Everything is mediocre, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I was going to make a comment, but in hindsight, similar thing happened when we talked about Bruce Willis and his all, like, video-on-demand movies. He, like, was padding all these movies, and it turned out, like, he's very sick, and, like, he just wanted to, like, make sure that his family was set up. I feel like Liam Neeson is just 
doing these really shitty fucking movies over and over, rinsing. The guy was in Schindler's goddamn list. Like he can act. What are we? What are we doing here? Oh yeah, I mean he's a talented man. I don't know. Ever since you know the the explosive success of Taken, he's just been riding that wave. I get it to a degree, but I just wish that he could pick projects that are just a little bit have a little bit more meat on the bone than these. Um, I mean, I will give one positive for this one. There was a sequence that involved the bomb squad where they bring out like the robot and like the guys in the Hurt Locker suits. Yeah. And it was cool because it's that stuff's cool in general. But it's also cool because it was like a technologically updated version of the scene in Speed where Keanu's trying to like fucking defuse yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's now like modern day technology version of that. Huh. So like that was kind of neat. But everything else was but, trash. I mean, but that's one scene out of fucking an agonizing 90 minutes. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard pass. Okay. All right, folks. Uh, moving on to our last segment, Netflix and Bill. Uh, what are we all watching? So, uh, the only live show that I'm currently watching is Billions on Showtime. We're now four or five episodes into this final season. Still loving it. Really enjoy it. And I also went back, because there's nothing else to watch, and I watched The Gilded Age, season one on HBO. Uh, season two is coming out this year. It's one of the only things that is coming out this year. So I wanted to go back and watch it. I recently listened to a couple audiobooks that uh, that were historical and kind of based during this same time frame of the late 1800s in America. And so it kind of got me interested in the time period. I love Carrie Coon. I think she's one of the best actresses working today. And I went back and watched season one of The Gilded Age. And it's great. It's great. It's a really well-acted, well-written period drama. Uh, so I enjoyed it. Love that. Craig, uh, what do you, Craig, what do you got on the docket? Uh, well, I've been watching a HBO program called Winning Time, the Showtime Lakers story. Uh, so, quick little backstory about this is we talked about Winning Time many, many, many months ago when it first came out. I think Bill, you started it and did not finish. In fact, barely I got started. Two episodes in, and I rage quit. Yeah. So here's what I'll say about that. I texted you. When I started it, because I also thought the first two episodes were fucking brutal. Uh, like, it's just Adam McKay in your face, pulling out. Ev- it's like Adam McKay juggling knives and spinning plates and riding a unicycle on a skateboard <laughs> half pipe. Like, it's just like doing all the shit that he does. Uh, yeah. But I'll say, as the season goes on, that chills out. Like, I think the part of the reason the first two episodes were so over the top with that is to establish that those are the types of things that may happen throughout the season. And when they do happen, like now you'll know that that's a thing they do sometimes like talking to the camera and breaking the fourth wall and title cards and little like occasional, like VH one pop-up video style fun facts. It's annoying when it's all in one, one episode, but sprinkled throughout the show, the, the remaining episodes, it's actually kind of I don't know. It it wears on me a lot less. They still do they're still doing way too much. But like yeah. the story's good, the acting's good. Like John C. Riley's incredible. The kid that plays Magic is incredible. Adrian Brody is great. Jason Jason Siegel, right? I always flip his name and Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, Jason Siegel. Also great. Like Show's good. I would recommend it. And like also just the like I'm not super familiar with the Showtime Lakers like the the so the actual story itself parts of it are sort of 
news to me. For, like, I had no idea Pat Riley coached the Lakers. Literally had zero clue. Um, oh, yeah. And, oh, sure. like, Boston and Larry Bird and Red Auerbach set up as the villains is so great. Like, oh, man. I, I really think you should get back into it. Uh, that's that's the one part I want to watch. Because I think the episode, I think one of the episodes I saw, they did have Chickless show up as Red uh-huh. Auerbach, I believe. Yeah, I, th- I really think, especially in these trying times of not a lot of stuff on, I think you should get back into it. Bite the bullet, get through the Adam McKayness of it all, because it does chill out. It's not just me getting used to it. It, I can guarantee you that it it does mellow. And who does Adrian Brody play? Is he Pat Riley? Riley. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of want to see. Oh, that. dude, I kind of want to see. That. I would really recommend it. I so I've started season two now, and season two is so far a little bit annoying. Everyone's just pissed off at each other, and it's like, okay, we get it. Um, yeah. But season one, I actually like. Kind of like highly recommend Winning Time season. Whoa. I thought it was like really wow. good. Wow! Bill. Big what a turnaround! Bill, I'm I'm trying to find our text thread right now, but I can't <laughs> um, because I texted you when we first started. I was like, "This is a disaster! Like, what the fuck is going on?" I know, and I told you, I told you it was brutal, and I got out. Yeah. All right, maybe we got to push through. Wild. Uh, AJ, what are you watching? Uh, I'm watching Veep. The HBO For the first series, time. first time through. I got a few episodes in. How have I waited this long to watch a show? I, I honestly assumed you had already no, seen it. Same. It is so good. I told you both. I feel like I'm watching like a R-rated uh, Parks and Rec. I, I just can't wait to, to binge the rest of it. I'm fully invested, ready to roll. Can't wait to give my full synopsis once I've, um, I've finished. But yeah, I uh, love it. I love it. Great show. Great show. I watched it live as it aired every Sunday when it was on. Uh, I have not gone back, though, so might be worth it. That's great. Bill, in the show notes, uh, it has a, a new section, which I just realized, called What Are We Playing? And Yeah, this is a Should I Go Play should, It segment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> video games. And it looks like you have yep. two uh, listed, Armored Core 6 and Starfield. I will give yep. you 30 seconds. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> uh, so finally, some good video games uh, have come out. Uh, or I shouldn't say good. Big video games have come out, big releases. And I started both of them, Armored Core 6 and Starfield. And I like neither. Both have disappointed me greatly. I was very excited for Starfield. I thought that would be, with no TV, I thought I could just dive into Starfield and make that my life. Uh, But I can't because it's too boring and slow and buggy and uninteresting. And the inventory management system is a complete nightmare. And the combat is lackluster. And Armored Core 6 is much more playable until you reach a certain threshold about three hours in where you reach the most difficult boss in the history of bosses. And it's just, I'm just, I'm not interested enough to commit the amount of time it would take to get better and beat them. So I think I'm out. <laughs> but you say that, but you played, you, you played Elden Ring, which is the most difficult video game of the last, I don't know, 25 years, and you had no problem with that. Elden Ring is one of the top three greatest video games I've ever played in my life. And I've now spoiled for all video game eternity because I'm comparing all these things to Elden Ring. Like, if Starfield was Elden Ring but in space, I would be in heaven. But it's not, and neither is Armor Core. Elden Ring lets you play at your pace and level up in whatever way you choose, and you can approach the fights in different ways and at different times. Armor Core 6 is like a list of missions, so like I, I can't progress the game until I beat this boss. Versus Elden Ring, I could be like, you know what? Let me go explore a cave, and I'll come back and level up, and I'll get ready for him. In Armor Core 6, I can't do that. I'm stuck. And now I just won't get past it. And the longer I don't play the game, when I go back to the game, I will have forgotten the controls and I'll be even worse. 
and then I have no chance of beating them. So you just hit an impasse. And there's no point in playing the game anymore. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, boys, what are we watching soon? <laughs> that was, should I go play it? Uh, I'm seeing The Nun 2 in less than three hours from now, uh, as of this recording. Love that. Uh, you know, the Conjuring universe sometimes has some decent output, and hopefully The Nun 2 is okay. I uh, bought tickets to another horror movie called It Lives Inside. Don't know anything about it. Road to 1K. Uh, I also bought the ticket for The Exorcist, which I'm excited about. And I also got us, AJ, I got us tickets to see Taylor Swift's Eras Tour in theaters. We got it was not easy to get. By the time I even realized this was a thing that existed, they were basically all sold out. But I was able to snag two seats together in, uh, I think it's October 22, somewhere in there. Explain to the viewers what this is. This is a two-hour and 45-minute recorded version of her show that she toured with during the Eras Tour. And they decided to put it in theaters and decided to just take over every possible screen of every auditorium in every theater and sell them all out. And now a bunch of movies are now changing their release dates because they don't want to compete because they've already sold out all the screens <laughs> to Taylor Swift. And it's already done like 80 million in pre-sales. Like, it is absurd. Uh, it's going to be fucking miserable. And so we okay. have to see what this is about. Not only because I am a Swifty, but also for the film-going experience. Do you think that everyone's going to be singing along as if they're at the show? Yeah, of course they are. Craig, right? Is that a joke? Uh, that's a, I don't one know. Of the dumbest, you are a smart man. That's one of the <laughs> dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Are they going to be like standing and dressed up and dancing? Or are we just going to yeah, be sitting in your seats singing? Or like, what is it? Okay. Standing, I, I'm not sure. But dressed up, dancing, singing, I would expect all of that. Absolutely. Uh, if Jesus you want, Christ. if you think it would be funny for one of us uh, to live tweet the experience. Uh, let us know. Slide in our DMs and let us know. Maybe I'll take over the Twitter and I'll uh, I'll live tweet the. We could do the Twitter, or we could do uh, we could do the should I go see it Instagram. We could do a live, or we could do reels as well. Well, there's like probably uh, some copyright shit buried in there from like. Oh, dude! Half the crowd's gonna be blasting it on TikTok, anyways. Oh yeah, I guess you're right. Exactly, exactly. You couple of freaking old farts on your Instagrams. Yeah, I feel like I'm gonna feel really weird there. Hundred percent. I I. Whether we make it the whole two hours and 45 minutes is going to be the real question. Like, again, Swifty, love her, but like this environment might be weird. I would go see her. I'm, I'm, I have such FOMO that I didn't go to see the Eras tour. But this, this thing in the theater, if people are treating it like it's live, though it's not, I'm going to be uncomfortable and leave. Yeah, 20 minutes is my over under. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Everybody take take action on that now. Do you want me to go with you and just stand out in the hallway, a hot spare? I could just, if someone leaves, I'll just sub <laughs> the in. swap out? Just, just a seat filler? Uh, love it. All right, take us away. Thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. 